Liar, liar, the media's pants are on fire. I'm Lurley Siemens, and that's basically the news for this week. So I'm coming to you today, actually a little bit early, it's actually Wednesday, normally my podcast goes on Thursday, but I'm speaking this week at a Right to Life event in London, Ontario, so I'm going to be spending the rest of the week working on that. Also, I am launching a new podcast and I want to have that up and ready to go before I speak on Friday, so there is just so much to do this week. If you are in the London area and you do come out on Friday, make sure you come Uh, stop and talk to me because I really want to hear from you. All right, so I am pretty upset this week. I mean, really, in this week, my anger level is extremely high. So what happened? Well, it was all happened last week. So if you remember, I told you the March for Life was going to happen on Friday, and I encouraged you all to watch as much as you could online. And by the way, it was Fantastic. So 46 years ago this week, Roe v. Wade changed America. And that would be the catalyst that would begin changing Canada as well. And I've done the history of Roe v. Wade, and I will post a link um, to the podcast clip to that in the show notes. So if you want to know the history of Roe v. Wade um, and what happened to Roe, you can check out that clip. I also have a video series on my website that goes through the arguments that pro-abortion people will use when they argue with me. And the series explains how to articulate the pro-life argument. So this week I heard about a teen girl um, and she'd used my videos to put a presentation together for her class. And as she was explaining the pro-life argument, a boy in her class became angry and said, just wait until you get raped, then you'll be pro-choice. So. In today's like Me Too movement, you would think that boy would get in trouble for the argument, but instead, the girl was told she had to stop talking because she had upset this boy. So that's the society that we live in, and that's what I'm talking about today. Just the pure hatred toward anyone who has a pro-life stance. So first of all, over 600,000 people were there for this march, March for Life. That is an insanely large amount of people. And this, of course, is a yearly march. So for decades, these people have come out and marched year after year, and the movement has only grown every year. So Matt Walsh, actually, he said it perfectly. He said it's the only march in history where people are marching for the rights of other human beings. Now, you would think this should actually be a news story. I mean... If 600,000 people were marching for something like, let's say, gun laws, the media would, of course, cover it. They would want to show the crowd size. They would interview the people who were speaking. But the media can't do that with the March for Life. 
They can't cover the topic of abortion. They can't ask people why they are there or why the march matters for them. They can't do that because they know if the pro-life side of the debate is ever shown, it will be the winning side. Because we all know deep down in our hearts that it is wrong to kill an innocent human being. The media did cover the march, but they had to find a way to cover it that fit their narrative and that would just totally avoid the topic of abortion altogether. Now, how could the media cover the story of 600,000 people marching to end abortion without actually covering abortion? Well, to do that, you have to just create an event to share or you just have to come right out and lie. And that is exactly what they did. So Ben Shapiro spoke at this event and he actually did his podcast live and it was awesome. And if you didn't see it, you really need to go look Ben Shapiro up. You should be listening to his podcast because it's amazing. So you need to look up Ben Shapiro, look up his podcast and listen to that. What he did was take the pro-abortion arguments and then just debunk them one by one. Now, just as a side note, this is a speech that I also give. I do a talk where I show people how to have a pro-life conversation and how to answer the questions um, a pro-abortion or someone who just doesn't know what they think, the questions that they have. So to learn more about that, visit my website because I would love to come and talk to your group. So Ben did this, this is what he did at this event, and he did a great job. One of the questions he was answering was the claim that abortion actually cuts down on crime. This is because their view is that a child who is born into poverty will commit more crime. And this is actually pretty racist as well, since more black children are aborted than white children. And Ben actually points this out. Then Ben talks about the ethics of this. So killing a human being because they might commit a crime. He then said this is the classic ethical question, would you kill baby Hitler? Now, if you've ever taken an ethics class, you've probably debated this question and you've probably written about it because it's the question that seems impossible to answer. On the one side, if you kill baby Hitler, you save millions of people. But on the other side, if you kill baby Hitler, you're killing a baby who hasn't done anything wrong. So Ben actually answers this question beautifully. He says a pro-life person cannot kill baby Hitler because baby Hitler did not do anything wrong. Adult Hitler did. A pro-life person would want to put baby Hitler in a good home and try to help him to grow up to be a better person. So that was about two minutes of his hour-long speech. So what is all over Twitter and in the media? Ben Shapiro speaks at an anti-abortion rally and defends Hitler. Honestly, that's what they took from that. So Friday evening, I start getting some of these tweets sent to me. What I found most disturbing is people telling me that adopted kids turn out bad and commit crime. They apparently didn't know that not only am I an adopted person, but I have two adopted children. Now, when I informed them of that, they backed off, hopefully re realizing that they were actually being pretty horrible people. I was annoyed by this coverage, but I wasn't surprised. However, by Sunday, 
I would actually be surprised because the media would hit a low that even shocked me. So Saturday for me was a pretty great day. I took my oldest daughter to a track meet. She's in high school, but she sometimes gets to go to meets with college kids. And she was in the first and the last event of the day. So if you've ever been to a track event, that means you're spending most of the day just sitting and doing nothing. So after her first event, I found a nice spot to read a book that I had brought along for the day. I was actually reading Suicide of the West, and I'm going to let you know how I feel about that once I am completely done the book. But as the day was going along, everything was great. And then two universities showed up with a ton of university age boys who all came and sat around me. And I had to admit, I was annoyed right away because boys this age are loud, they're obnoxious, um, they think that they're way better looking than they actually are. So why am I telling you this? Because I want you to know that I get it, okay? I get it if your first thought when you see a teenage boy is ugh, okay? So we ended up driving home through a snowstorm. And by the way, we got home safely, but the next morning, someone sent me a news story of some boys in mega hats abusing an elderly war vet who was also a Native American. Now the story was sent to me by a pro-abortion person and it had a clear message. This is what pro-life is all about. Apparently the abuse had happened at this pro-life rally that I talked about that happened on Friday. So I answered, there's two sides to every story. We should wait and see what the other side is. Now I've come to say this because every single MAGA hat wearing abuse story sent to me so far has turned out to be a hoax. This story also proved to be a hoax, but it went way too far. The media crossed a very dangerous line. So here is the story of these boys. I'm going to tell you the story of two boys, Nick and Michael. So let's start with Nick. Nick was on a school trip. It was an annual March for Life. It was a cold day in January, but Nick was excited to get a chance to see Washington, D.C. and be part of this monumentous event. Every year, hundreds of thousands of pro-life people march on D.C. to stand up for the rights of all humans. Nick is also a Trump supporter, and he proudly wore his mega hat and marched along with his friends. Over 600,000 people were there to march. It was the largest turnout in history. At the end of the march was the chance to hear Ben Shapiro speak. The march ended and Nick and his friends had free time in D.C. as long as they were back at the Lincoln Memorial by 5.30. The bus would pick them up at 5.30. The groups divided up and Nick and his friends, along with one of their chaperones, continued having fun while they worked their way back to the Lincoln Memorial. They arrived at 4.30, an hour before the bus would be there. They'd been walking all day. As they arrived at the steps, they were met with a group that calls themselves the Black Hebrews. Now, let's just stop the story here and explain who the Black Hebrews are. These are not Jewish people. You know how Christians have the Westboro and Baptists? It's like the crazies that hate everyone and give all Christians a bad name, even though there's only like 50 of them. This is like, think of the Black version of Westboro Baptist. They literally hate everyone. They hate Muslims, they hate Christians, and they hate Jews. They believe that they are the real Hebrews and God is only allowing them into heaven. All white people are demons, including the Jews, who, by the way, are mostly white. They use the same language as the Westboro Baptists. They use, you know, the God hates F and continue on with that type language. 
Okay, so back to Nick. Nick and his friends arrive at the steps and there are two groups of people already in the area. There's a group of native people and then there's these black Hebrews. So the boys are goofing off, they're high energy mode, they just finished a great day in DC. And the black Hebrews are harassing the native group. They're calling them savages, idol worshipers. The abuse gets so bad that two people from the native group come over and actually ask the black Hebrews to stop yelling at them. This only encourages the black Hebrews and they ramp up the harassment. But after a while, some of the native men start to yell back at the black Hebrews. Now, the black Hebrews then start targeting the boys. They call them demons, incest babies, um, future school shooters. They use words that I can't even say because I don't know how to beep things out yet on this podcast. The boys ignore the men, even though the men are extremely loud. Then, the men notice that one of Nick's friends is black and they turn their hatred specifically on the black student. Um, They begin calling him the N-word. They say the white boys are going to kill him and harvest his organs. So at this point, Nick and his friends surround the boy. They begin saying, no man, we love you, we love you, and shouting back at the black Hebrews, stop it, you're being racist. The black Hebrews then just ramp up the harassment. At this point, more students are arriving because the bus will be there in about half an hour and more and more groups of students are showing up. And they're confused, as they're greeted by this group of men who are yelling at them with extremely aggressive rhetoric. So one of the boys gets an idea. They can overpower the hate with fun and love. So they ask their teacher if they can do their school chants to overpower the group of men. And the teacher agrees. The student then breaks out into their school chants and the rest of the kids go wild. Everyone begins to jump and dance and chant, you know, the way students do when they hear their school spirit song. By this point, most of the students have arrived and the group of students has grown. Then, out of nowhere, this group of native people begin to march in their direction. One man named Nathan Phillips is banging on a drum. For most of the students, this is awesome. They assume Nathan Phillips is helping them with their cheer and they begin to do the cheer to the beat of Nathan's drum. What they don't know is that Nathan Phillips is actually an extreme leftist who hates Trump and is targeting the boys because they are wearing Make America Great Again hats. At this point, the black heroes are attacking both the boys and the native group. They start yelling, here comes Gad, here comes Gad to Nathan Phillips as he marches towards this, um, towards Nick. Now, Gad is a false god from the Old Testament, so they are calling him a false god from the Old Testament. They are clearly still belittling um, Nathan Phillips at this point. So Nathan Phillips ignores the racism that's being thrown at him by the black Hebrews and instead continues to target the boys. Now, Nick makes eye contact with Nathan Phillips and then the man marches right up to Nick. Nathan Phillips is followed by a group of men with cameras and Nathan marches until he is just inches from Nick's face. He then continues to bang his drum into Nick's ear and chant into his face. Nick has no idea what to do. He knows things are getting out of control. They can't leave the steps. This is where the bus is picking them up. He stands very still and smiles at Nathan. Then Nick hears another man shouting at the students, go back to Europe, this is our land. One of Nick's friends says, hey, this is all of our land, we can all live here. Nick turns his head to his friend and gestures for him to be quiet. He says, don't engage. 
The boys don't fight back. They don't engage. They stand as politely as possible. The boys don't fight back. They don't engage. They stand as politely as possible. They don't answer back as the native group continues to tell them that they stole the land and that this is native land. The rest of the students aren't really hearing this. They're in the background still singing their school cheers to the beat of the drum. Then hallelujah, the bus comes. The kids run to the bus singing, we can finally go home. That should have just been the end of it, but it wasn't. It was only the beginning. As soon as the boys left, Nathan Phillip goes to social media with a story and here's the narrative. He is a Native American standing on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. He looks into the camera. He then says the boys came to him, surrounding him, mocking him. They were chanting, build the wall. And then he wipes away a tear. This is indigenous land. Walls don't belong here. Then a clip of Nathan drumming while Nick is standing close to him with a smile. In the background, a large group of boys jumping and laughing and chanting. The video goes viral right away. And the media picks it up. They immediately interview Nathan, of course, never interviewing the children or the teachers who were here. In the interview, Nathan says there were some Bible-believing black men who were preaching. They were preaching something different than those white boys had been taught in their Catholic church. The boys couldn't handle hearing something different than they believed. The boys were attacking those black preachers. He said, I had to get between those beasts and their prey. But then the boys turned on me. They surrounded me and started to chant, build the wall. He then said it reminded him of the time he fought in Vietnam War. Literally nothing Nathan said was true. So Nick's face is all over social media. CNN reporters say Nick's face is the most punchable face in the world. The former head of the DNC calls for Nick's school to be shut down. Huff Post prints a picture of Nick's face next to a picture of KKK kids in the 50s, saying they're the same thing. BuzzFeed prints a picture of Nick's face next to Kavanaugh's face, implying that Nick is a racist. The New York Times prints a picture of Nick's face and says he is the face of white privilege and he is a racist. The Roman Catholic diocese in their town goes on Twitter and says he condemns Nick. And then the mayor of their town goes on Twitter and says he is denouncing Nick. So remember being a teenager, can you imagine having a Saturday like this? The whole world, literally. Not like when you were a teenager and a bunch of kids were gossiping about you and it felt like the whole world. No, the real, really, literally, the whole world turns on this kid. They began calling for him to be killed. They wanted the students to be locked in a school and then the school burned to the ground. Things only got worse. Someone figured out who Nick was and published his home address and phone number, and his family began getting death threats. His parents' work was targeted, demanding that they get fired. But there's another kid in the story. His name is Michael. So Michael was not at the March for Life on Friday. He was volunteering at an event for kids with disabilities and getting ready for his big brother's wedding. Michael's a fun kid who loves his volunteer job and loves cooking. In fact, his dream is to be a chef, and he's recently accepted to a cooking school. Michael spends his weekend hanging out with his youth group and takes his faith really seriously. He's never even had any alcohol. He's the kind of teen parents hope to have. He's the youngest in his family. Saturday was a big day for the family. Michael's brother was getting married. Suddenly, Michael starts getting death threats on his phone. So does his parents, his brother, even his aunts and uncles. What is going on? 
They soon find out there's a picture of Michael on Twitter. Someone has screenshotted a picture from some event in DC and put his picture next to it and said he's the kid in the picture. Michael and his family have been occupied in the wedding. They don't even know what this event is that everyone's talking about. No one from their family was in DC. Then they see that Twitter has someone figured out what cooking school Michael has been accepted to and are demanding that his acceptance be rejected. The whole day just continues to blow up and gets worse and worse. The wedding is ruined and Michael and his family are now fearful for their lives. People are messaging them saying that they know where they live and they're going to kill them. A Disney producer posts a picture of a wood chipper with blood everywhere and says he wants to put the whole family through a wood chipper. A Democrat House representative said he wanted to now ban mega hats. So imagine if a Republican said he wanted to ban the I'm with her shirts or an Obama change shirt. I mean, who is the fascist here? Hollywood begins attacking the boys, posting the pictures saying mega hats are the same as KKK hoods. Now, remember I said on Saturday I was at a track meet and I was surrounded by a group of teen boys and I was annoyed. I share that because I get it if your first reaction when you see a group of teen boys is to be annoyed and assume that they're going to be annoying. That's because teen boys can be frustrating. I found them frustrating when I was a teen girl. It's kind of like this, all right? When you take a pizza out of the oven too early, it looks like it's done. It looks ready to eat. And then you eat it and it's actually gross. So teen boys are taller than me, they're stronger than me, and so we can assume they should be adult-like. They're not fully cooked. They are still children. And when they act like children, we get annoyed because we expect them to act their height, not their age. But I get it, it's natural. What is not natural is to go full psycho crazy and turn into extreme cyber bullies. What is not natural is for reporters to report the story without contacting a single student or teacher who was at the event. What is not natural is to post a picture of a wood chipper with the caption of putting children through a wood chipper. That is not natural. That is insane. By Sunday, when people started sending me this story, the boys were already releasing their side of the story. And as Sunday wore on, more and more video footage came out. No one said Bill the Wall. No one. This is a sum up of what happened. The children were harassed by adults for over an hour while they waited for their bus. Once the bus came and the kids left, the adults continued the harassment online by lying about them and posting videos of them. The media then joined in on the harassment and covered the story without getting any information from the children or their teachers. Adults on social media then published their names and addresses, the children's names and addresses, and also published the names and addresses of students who were not even there, but just looked like the kids who were there. Adults then began making death threats and calling for the boys and their families to be killed. Politicians and leaders in the community also jumped on the bandwagon and harassed the boys online. Hollywood actors continued the online bullying. Now at the same time, people were still talking about baby Hitler and Ben Shapiro. People began to harass the sponsors of the Ben Shapiro show and two sponsors have now dropped their support of the show. 
By mid-Monday, it became clear. Nathan Phillips had lied about the entire event. There was so much video footage and literally every word he said was a lie, including, by the way, being a war vet because he was 17 years old when the Vietnam War ended. In fact, the Washington Post printed a retraction and said they wrongly printed that Phillips was a war vet because it appears he never served in the military. So what did the media do? Well, they sort of apologized. They said maybe the story was more complicated than they originally thought, but the left mob would not give up. They had to prove they were right. And then they found it. The New York Daily News published a picture of a sporting event from the children in 2015. The kids had black faces. Proof, they are racist, horrible people. Now, 2015, first of all, high school is four years. And 2015 was four years ago. So literally not the same people. Also, it turns out they had days called blackout days. They also had whiteout days. They also had blueout days. And what they would do is they would wear all the whatever color they were having, they would wear that color from head to toe. And some people, if you've ever been to a sporting event, go overboard with the color and will also paint their skin that color. Now, this is the picture being circulated on social media of these boys dressed in all black cheering at a basketball game. Now, this picture did two things. One, it took what was happening out of context. No one in the picture was pretending to be a black person. And two, took a whole new group of boys that had nothing to do with what happened on Friday and put them into the spotlight. One of the boys in this picture has come forward. His name is Ryan. He says the picture is not actually from 2015, but from 2012, seven years ago. And he explains that it was a blackout game. It has nothing to do with race. Once again, the media is going with the story without getting any background, not talking to a single person from the school. Now, thanks to this new picture, the boys' basketball games are canceled because they're receiving so many death threats. The school had so many death threats that the police met with the school and said the threats against the school were so bad, there was no way they could meet the security threat and the school had to be closed. Also, the school has had to take down all of their social media accounts and had to take the school's website off of the internet because they were getting so much harassment. So children could not go to school because adults were threatening their lives. Now, on Tuesday, a group of Native people had a protest at the school, even though the video clearly shows Nathan approached Nick, not the other way around. They're demanding that Nick apologize. What is he supposed to apologize for? For being white? For wearing a mega hat? For being at a pro-life rally? Because that's the crime here. That is why this is happening. These boys have asked to meet with Nathan, but he's refused because he says they're not sorry enough. The attack on Nick and Ben Shapiro should not surprise us. The left is making it clear. If you're pro-life, if you stand for any Christian principle at all, we will destroy you. Ali Stuckey made a video. and There's another podcast that you should check out and listen to on a regular basis. She's fantastic. But she made a video that talked about this exact point. This weekend was a warning for socially conservative people. Be quiet or we will end you. This was also clear in another story from this week, the story of Emmanuel Bible Church. 
Manual Bible Church offers classes for people with, who are learning English. They have food and clothing support for the Latino and Korean immigrant communities that are near their church. They host sports clubs and camps for community kids, and they have a Christian school. So Emmanuel Bible Church has a statement of beliefs that includes, in its statement of beliefs, a statement about lifestyle. And this statement of lifestyle beliefs is the same one that the Southern Baptist Convention has, um, the United Methodist Church has, the Presbyterian Church of America has, the Assemblies of God, Calvary Chapel, um, National Associations of Evangelicals, Roman Catholic Church, even the Greek Orthodox Church. They all have the same standard Christian lifestyle belief system. So a few years ago, actually, Westboro Baptist Church set up a picketing line in front of Emmanuel Bible Church because they were too lenient on the gay lifestyle. That's because, like most Christians, Emmanuel Bible Church believes that all people should be treated respectfully, and the church's job is not to push their beliefs on the world. The church also believes that it is the right of the church to expect their members to follow the lifestyle agreement of the church. This includes the school that they run. So Mike Pence and his wife have attended this church for years, and Mrs. Pence has been a teacher there for many years, but she stepped down when her husband was running alongside Trump in the election. But this week she took her job back and she's going to be returning to the school to teach. And this put Emmanuel Bible Church into the crosshairs of the same people who want to kill Nick and Michael, the same reporters, the same news networks. They've gone after both the church and Mrs. Pence. CNN actually said that Karen Pence embraced the value of exclusion. And he said she was basically a white nationalist. And Lady Gaga, in a concert, while she is at a concert performing, she said that the vice president was the worst representation of what it means to be Christian. So you can take all that disgrace, Mr. Pence, and you can look yourself in the mirror and you'll find it right there. But CNN actually went the farthest. They said maybe Mrs. Pence shouldn't even be given secret security detail if she holds these beliefs. Really? So the vice president's wife should not be protected if she's a Christian and holds on to the beliefs that every Christian denomination holds on to. This is what you're really saying. Then they started a hashtag, expose Christian schools. This was trending on social media on Friday when the boys were attacked online. And it was a huge part of why it went viral so quickly. So why am I so upset about this? Why am I freaking out? Well, I'm socially conservative. I actually own a mega hat. I'm pro-life. I've been to pro-life events. I've spoken at many pro-life events. My children attend a Christian school. So am I next? It's a real possibility and it's, it's a real concern. My husband and I have even talked about this and I've thought about Maybe I end my blog, my podcast. I mean, it's one thing to put myself into the line of fire, but is it fair to put my children into it? This is a call that we have to make. This week, I finished a book, Bonhoeffer by Eric Metaxas, and it's the story of World War II, but from the point of view of the German church. For the most part, the church just went along with Hitler because it was easier and safer. 
the first thing Hitler did was demand that the church refuse to acknowledge the membership of Jews in the church. This was the point when Bonhoeffer refused, but most of the church agreed. And then Hitler demanded that they not preach from the Old Testament. That was for the Jews. The New Testament was for the Christians. This is actually really relevant today as some mega pastors like Andy Stanley are saying the exact same thing today. Bonhoeffer preached from the book of Jeremiah that Sunday. Then Hitler said to throw out anything written by Paul, who was a Jew. So that's basically 80% of the New Testament. Hitler then said Jesus was not a Jew. He was an Aryan. So most of the Christians were silent, especially as Hitler began killing anyone who disagreed with him. This group of Christians were called the Confessing Church, the ones who would stand up and disagree with him. They would not back down on the Bible. They would not give in to the social changes that were happening around him. Members of the Confessing Church were put under surveillance. They were arrested. They were tortured. They were put in concentration camps and eventually killed. But they did not give in. Now, am I comparing the left to Hitler? No. Although that would be ironic because Hitler is what they compare Trump to all the time. No, there is only one Hitler. He was evil and there is no other Hitler. And comparing people to Hitler only ends up making Hitler look less evil than he actually was. No, but we can look at the Germans. They were not evil. They were just people. They wanted to live in peace. They wanted a country where they could raise their families. They thought national socialism was maybe the answer to all their problems. And for the church, it seemed at first national socialism was a way to help the poor and the needy. And then the government started to demand the church teach the Bible the way they wanted them to teach, the way the government wanted them to teach the Bible. And most thought it was just easier to get along instead of stand up for what was right. I mean, they could just say the Jews were not members, even though they still were. They could preach from the New Testament and just leave out the Old Testament if it was too controversial. I mean, by the time the pure evil of who Hitler was was revealed, most of the church was too afraid to do anything about it. So now we have this question. Do we stand for life, even if it means people will attack us and try to ruin us? Will we continue to follow Jesus and the teachings of the Bible, even if it means we will be ridiculed or even worse? My husband and I have asked ourselves that question, and the answer we give is this. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But while Christians are being attacked, other religions are given a complete free pass, even to the most horrible things. In America, an eight-year-old girl named Nali was engaged to a 21-year-old man in Pakistan. Nali had the unfortunate dual citizenship. She was both an American and a Pakistan, and her fiancé was in Pakistan. At age 13, Nali was forced to marry the man who was then 26 years old. This way, the man could apply to come to America as a spouse. Now, the American officials didn't see this as a red flag. They didn't say, hey, a 13-year-old girl can't marry a 26-year-old. And how have they been engaged for five years if she's 13? Nope, they asked no questions. They gave the man the passport. He came to America to be with his 13-year-old wife. Nally ran away from home and then spent the rest of her childhood in foster care and group homes. This is not a one and only case. In a 10-year time span, almost 3,000 American underage girls were married to adults overseas and then brought those adults to America. 
This was not questioned because in order to question it, you would have to question the religion of the families of these children. And to question Islam is out of the question. Better to allow children to be married or raped, because that's what it is, than to question Islam. Why is it that one religion is hated with so much extreme hated? Why is it that one religion is hated with so much extreme hatred and other religions are not even questioned, even if their behavior is not only illegal, but pure evil? So the week ended with New York lighting up the World Trade Center in pink. They were celebrating the fact that in New York, you can now get an abortion at any point in your pregnancy. So you're eight months pregnant, your baby can totally survive outside the womb. You can go in and get an abortion. And this is gonna be done with no anesthetic for the child, even though we know that the child feels pain at this point. And if you're horrified about that, and you live in Canada, well, that's been the case in Canada since the 80s. And in Canada, it's paid for by our tax dollars. So all in all, this week has put a spotlight on just how evil our society is. And the cure for our society is the thing that they seem to hate the most, Jesus Christ. So I end this week the same way I end every week, with the good news of Jesus Christ. And the good news is this, God sees how evil we are and he loves us anyway. It's his love that is the good news. His love is so deep that he took the punishment for our evil deeds, our sin, he took it on himself. Jesus is God. He proved he was God when he forgave sins when he healed people, when he raised people from the dead, when he controlled the wind and the water, and then ultimately when he came back to life. Because God took our punishment, we can be forgiven and freed from both the punishment of our sin and also freed from the power sin has over us. It's so simple that a child can do it and so complicated that theologians struggle with it. It is this. First, admitting that you're a sinner and that you need God. Then believing that Jesus is God and he alone can save you from sin. And then calling on him, asking him to save you. He promises he will. I'm Laura Lee Siemens. For more blogs, videos, and podcasts, head over to my website, lauraleesiemens.com. See you next week.